Section 12, Closing Words Power for Service Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. What the church needs in these days of peril is an army of workers who, like Paul, have educated themselves for usefulness, who have a deep experience in the things of God, and who are filled with earnestness and zeal. Sanctified, self-sacrificing men are needed. Men who will not shun trial and responsibility. Men who are brave and true. Men in whose hearts Christ has formed the hope of glory and who with the lips touched with holy fire will preach the word. For want of such workers the cause of God languishes, and fatal errors like a deadly poison taint the morals and blight the hopes of a large part of the human race. The Acts of the Apostles, page 507. Those who are men in the sight of God, and who are thus recorded in the books of heaven, are those who, like Daniel, cultivate every faculty in such a way as best represents the kingdom of God to a world at lying and wickedness. Progress in knowledge is essential, but when employed in the cause of God, knowledge is a power for good. The world needs men of thought, men of principle, men who are constantly growing in understanding and discernment. The press is in need of men to use it to the best advantage that the truth may be given wings to speed it to every nation and tongue and people. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, Christ bids us, that my house may be filled. Luke 14, 23. In obedience to this word, we must go to the heathen who are near us and to those who are afar off. The publicans and the harlots must hear the Savior's invitation. Through the kindness and long-suffering of his messengers, the invitation becomes a compelling power to uplift those who are sunken in the lowest depths of sin. Christian motives demand that we work with a steady purpose, an undying interest, and ever-increasing importunity for the souls whom Satan is seeking to destroy. Nothing is to chill the earnest, yearning energy for the salvation of the lost. Mark how all through the Word of God there is manifest the spirit of urgency of imploring men and women to come to Christ. We must seize upon every opportunity, in private and in public, presenting every argument, urging every motive of infinite weight to draw men to the Savior. With all our power, we must urge them to look unto Jesus and to accept his life of self-denial and sacrifice. We must show that we expect them to give joy to the heart of Christ by using every one of his gifts and honoring his name. Ministry of Healing, pages 164-165. It is not the length of time we labor, but our willingness and fidelity in the work that makes it acceptable to God. In all our service, a full surrender of self is demanded. The smallest duty done in sincerity and self-forgetfulness is more pleasing to God than the greatest work when marred with self-seeking. He looks to see how much of the Spirit of Christ we cherish, and how much of the likeness of Christ our work reveals. He regards more the love and faithfulness with which we work than the amount we do. Only when selfishness is dead, when strife for the supremacy is banished, when gratitude fills the heart, and love makes fragrant the life, it is only then that Christ is abiding in the soul, and we are recognized as laborers together with God. Christ's Object Lessons, page 402. Of all people in the world, Reformers should be the most unselfish, 
the most kind, the most courteous. In their lives should be seen the true goodness of unselfish deeds. The worker who manifests a lack of courtesy, who shows impatience at the ignorance or waywardness of others, who speaks hastily or acts thoughtlessly, may close the door to hearts so that he can never reach them. As the door and the still showers fall upon the withering plants, so let words fall gently when seeking to win men from error. God's plan is first to reach the heart, where to speak the truth in love, trusting in Him to give it power for the reforming of the life. The Holy Spirit will apply to the soul the word that is spoken in love. Naturally, we are self-centered and opinionated. But when we learn the lessons that Christ desires to teach us, we become partakers of His nature. Henceforth, we live His life. The wonderful example of Christ, the matchless tenderness with which He entered into the feelings of others, weeping with those who wept, rejoicing with those who rejoiced, must have a deep influence upon the character of all who follow Him in sincerity. By kindly words and acts, they will try to make the path easy for weary feet. Ministry of Healing, pages 157-158. It is not the highest work of education to communicate knowledge merely, but to impart that vitalizing energy which is received through the contact of mind with mind and soul with soul. It is only life that can beget life. What privilege then was theirs who for three years were in daily contact with that divine life from which has flowed every life-giving impulse that has blessed the world. Above all his companions, John the beloved disciple yielded himself to the power of that wondrous life. He says, The life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace. 1 John 1.2, John 1.16 In the apostles of our Lord there was nothing to bring glory to themselves. It was evident that the success of their labors was due only to God. The lives of these men, the characters they developed, and the mighty work that God wrought through them are a testimony to what he will do for all who are teachable and obedient. The Desire of Ages, page 250. Before honor is humility. To fill a high place before men, heaven chooses the worker who, like John the Baptist, takes a lowly place before God. The most childlike disciple is the most efficient in labor for God. The heavenly intelligences can cooperate with him who is seeking not to exalt self, but to save souls. He who feels most deeply his need of divine aid will plead for it, and the Holy Spirit will give unto him glimpses of Jesus that will strengthen and uplift the soul. From communion with Christ he will go forth to work for those who are perishing in their sins. He is anointed for his mission, and he succeeds where many of the learned and intellectually wise would fail. The Desire of Ages, page 436. He who calls men to repentance must commune with God in prayer. He must cling to the Mighty One, saying, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Give me power to win souls to Christ. Paul says, When I am weak, then am I strong. 2 Corinthians 12.10 When we have a realization of our weakness, we learn to depend upon a power not inherent. 
Nothing can take so strong a hold on the heart as the abiding sense of our responsibility to God. Nothing reaches so fully down to the deepest motives of conduct as a sense of the pardoning love of Christ. We are to come in touch with God, then we shall be imbued with His Holy Spirit that enables us to come in touch with our fellow men. Then rejoice that through Christ you have become connected with God, members of the heavenly family. While you look higher than yourself, you will have a continual sense of the weakness of humanity. The less you cherish self, the more distinct and full will be your comprehension of the excellence of your Savior. The more closely you connect yourself with the source of light and power, the greater light will be shed upon you, and the greater power will be yours to work for God. The Desire of Ages, page 493. Nothing is more needed in our work than the practical results of communion with God. We should show by our daily lives that we have peace and rest in the Savior. His peace in the heart will shine forth in the countenance. He will give to the voice a persuasive power. Communion with God will ennoble the character and the life. Men will take knowledge of us as of the first disciples that we have been with Jesus. This will impart to the worker a power that nothing else can give. Of this power he must not allow himself to be deprived. We must live a twofold life, a life of thought and action, of silent prayer and earnest work. The strength received through communion with God, united with earnest effort and training the mind to thoughtfulness and caretaking, prepares one for daily duties and keeps the spirit in peace under all circumstances, however trying. Ministry of Healing, page 512. To the consecrated worker, there was wonderful consolation in the knowledge that even Christ, during his life on earth, sought his Father daily for fresh supplies of needed grace. And from this communion with God, he went forth to strengthen and bless others. Behold, the Son of God bowed in prayer to his Father. Though he is the Son of God, he strengthens his faith by prayer, and by communion with heaven gathers to himself power to resist evil and to minister to the needs of men. As the elder brother of our race, he knows the necessities of those who, compassed with infirmity and living in a world of sin and temptation, still desire to serve him. He knows that the messengers whom he sees fit to send are weak, erring men. But to all who give themselves wholly to his service, he promises divine aid. His own example is an assurance that earnest, persevering supplication to God in faith faith that leads to entire dependence upon God and unreserved consecration to his work will avail to bring to men the Holy Spirit's aid in the battle against sin. Every worker who follows the example of Christ will be prepared to receive and use the power that Christ has promised to his church for the ripening of earth's harvest. Morning by morning, as the heralds of the gospel kneel before the Lord and renew their vows of consecration to him, he will grant them the presence of a spirit, with its reviving, sanctifying power. As they go forth to the day's duties, they have the assurance that the unseen agency of the Holy Spirit enables them to be laborers together with God. 1 Corinthians 3.9 The Acts of the Apostles, page 56.